WDBM East Lansing. Welcome to The Sci-Files, an Impact 89 FM series focusing on student research here at Michigan State University. We're your co-hosts Chelsea Boudou and Daniel Puentes. If you take out all the water from a tree, including the water in its trunk, half of that tree would be comprised of carbon. Today, to tell us more about this, we're here with Andrew Deliriwell. Hi, Andrew. Thanks for joining us today. Can you tell us more about yourself and your research? Hi, Chelsea. Thank you for having me. Yeah, so I am a senior at Michigan State. I'm in the forestry department. And for the last 12 months, I've been working in the geospatial laboratory, working on a software system that estimates forest volume and biomass. Thanks for joining us to talk to us about your research, Andrew. Let's just break down what a tree consists of. If you were to cut open a tree, for example, what would a person see? So as you guys mentioned, the most prevalent portion of a tree is carbon that is taken out of the air. And so that is essentially the building block for the woody tissue that is used in all sorts of applications in our daily lives, like furniture, construction, veneer, musical instruments, etc. And there are a lot of micronutrients and macronutrients, just like there are with people, right? Like we need to eat a certain amount of iron and things of that sort. And so rather than eating them like we do, trees pull them from the ground through their root system. Thanks for explaining that, Andrew. You said the word biomass. What does that mean exactly? For example, is it the stuff that's alive or the stuff that falls off the tree? So biomass includes both of those things, really. For example, like the the wooden door in my home is still considered biomass, even though it's not living. Biomass is just a weight of a certain material that is created organically. So in terms of a tree, every part of it is and can be measured as biomass. So its roots, the bark, the woody center of the trunk, and the leaves are all biomass. Now, biomass is a pretty general term when it comes to the work that you're doing. Are you interested in looking at how biomass changes as a function of time as the tree grows from a little sapling to its big grown adult version? Or are you tracking the biomass of trees over a specific region? I would have to say that it's both. One of the examples for the software that is going to be made readily available and um, free to the public to view will be a imaginary tree shown over five years of growth where it's measured in one year and then five and annually five years later. And as the diameter of the tree grows and it grows taller, the biomass calculator will reflect that change in an, an increase in biomass. And so that can also pertain to checking or calculating the biomass of a certain region, because in forestry, there are two types of data collection. There's what's called like randomly selected, where there is no effort to measure the same tree twice for volume or biomass. So it's just a one-time thing. And then the other would be a monitoring where we want to look at the same tree years and years down the line to track this growth. And so the software I've written caters more toward monitoring efforts. 
That's pretty interesting. I honestly don't know much about forestry, but I'm not surprised that there's different ways that you all can collect data. With this data collection, are you going out there and observing one specific tree, or is someone giving you all of this data? For the most part, I am being given all of this data. So the U.S. Forest Service has a wing of operation called the Forest Inventory and Analysis um, System. And so this system has, I believe, roughly just millions of trees that are monitored to the description that I previously mentioned. Part of my research was writing a accessible interface to a portion of the forest inventory and analysis toolkit. And so the goal behind making it more accessible was so that people can use it on their own land and bring their own inventories to the calculator and have it work just as easily. Here at the Sci-Files, we're all about accessible information. And in fact, that's one of the reasons why we started the show, which is to help make the science that's happening at Michigan State more accessible to everybody around the community. I want to ask a little more about the data collection that is being informed for your softwares. Are you also using any data that comes from satellite imagery? And if so, what are the pros and cons of using satellite imagery data versus data that's collected from a field worker? So I myself do not interact with any satellite collection of forest data. However, there are a couple pros to using it. For example, my research mentor and the graduate students that he's mentoring focus a lot of their work with it. It's really useful because from a satellite, there's no jurisdiction, if you will. So private and public land can be measured all the same. You know, there's no trespassing that you have to worry about when you use a satellite. However, it is still like a very emerging technology and it's came a long way in the last couple of years or so. And that's not necessarily the con, but it has an expensive barrier to entry. So it's not something that everyday people can use to look at their own forests. It's basically restricted to entities like NASA. Something that you said earlier about the accessibility caught my attention. You said that other researchers would be able to use this in the field. Now, I would imagine they're in a literal forest while they're doing this. There's not Wi-Fi out there. How would they be able to access this program or this code out in the field? So that's a good question because the calculations wouldn't be done in the field. The data that is collected by a field worker, the depth, the diameter, the height, the kind of tree, if you will, all of that is collected either on paper or on something like an iPad, and it's transferred to a database, at least in the case of like the Forest Service. And so another employee, likely in a whole different section of the Forest Service, is going to be the one to view those inventories that the field worker collected at a later date and is then going to be the one to use this software and make the calculations. As the climate is currently changing right now in the world, one thing I'm thinking about is predictive modeling to understand how different scenarios can impact the biomass of different forests and individual trees. When it comes to the software that you're running, are you able to recreate different things such as large forest fires, 
or any sort of other disasters that could impact the biomass of these individual or large groups of trees? That's a really good question. There are currently a lot of different computer models that would achieve sort of what you're describing here to in regards to like large scale environmental cause and effect predictions and forecasting. And just like a satellite collection for forest inventories, those models have came a long way but they still are lacking crucial elements to the ecosystem. For example, most of them can't accurately model the cycling of nitrogen through an ecosystem. But going back to this software, in the long term, along with making the working domain or just the region that this software can calculate biomass, along with making that larger, I would also like to have it be able to forecast the density of carbon within a certain forest and track how it moves as climate change continues to progress. Coming from Florida, I'm used to seeing a lot of palm trees and coconut trees. But now in Michigan, I see a lot of evergreens. In a forest, there is not usually just one type of tree. In your code, how does it take into account a forest whenever there is more than one type of tree? So as field workers create these inventories that contain more than one species of tree, they're each made into a separate row, if you will. And the columns in the table that this tree inventory exists in would be things like its species name, measurements like its diameter and height, and then placement-related items that describe where it was found. So if the land is broken into quadrants or four sections, it would be in section one. And if that was broken into five sections, this would exist in section three. And so the formatting of that tree inventory is maintained through this software. And so by understanding that certain types of trees prefer to coexist with each other, pine and most oak species, beech trees, and maples. Just for some examples of pears, we can estimate forest biomass with attention to those details because their growth patterns and the overall ecosystem that they create will be different had those pears not exist or not be present, as I should say. I'm glad these different species are being taken into account. It's important to consider the biodiversity of these different forests to understand individual biomasses. I'm not sure if you mentioned it earlier, but could you talk a little bit about the different regions that you're modeling when it comes to these tree biomasses? For example, are you only looking at Michigan or are you looking at other places as well? So what I referred to as the software's working domain, just as you described, like where the software is able to function and where it knows the tree species that will be there. Its working domain is the 50 U.S. states, so the continental U.S., Hawaii, and Alaska, Canada, and then a portion of the Caribbean. So it has some species for the Caribbean islands, but obviously not all of them. And so I would say that that domain includes most of North America, in terms of how much global forest cover the software's working domain covers. 
it would be about 16.3% of all the world's forest cover would be included in this software. And that would also be a little over 6% of global habitable land. In forest and in nature, there's more out there than trees. There's also animals. In this program, are you all also taking into account how animals may affect the biomass of these trees? If so, would it also see a difference whenever it's hunting season and how humans may also affect this? Wildlife is obviously a very important part of forests. However, there is no support for measuring wildlife populations in the software. However, it can be measured sort of implicitly, if you will, through the effects of wildlife on the forest. So for example, right before hunting season, when populations are at an annual peak, it's observable to find a lot of deer browsing and vegetation that is being eaten up by the deer. And so because they mostly graze on small trees and seedlings, it has a negligible effect on biomass in the single instance where they eat a sapling. But in certain parks around the Lansing area, you can tell that deer have used said park as sort of a highway for migration or just general living. And so the composition of that forest is greatly altered because of deer browsing, but not only the browsing itself, but their preference toward seeds and seedlings that have a higher energy content. So that would be like oak nuts, hickory nuts, beech nuts, and things of that sort. And because of that, we're observing oak trees to have a greater difficulty establishing themselves in the same forests that they used to do so well in. You kind of hinted at some of the results that you've gained from doing this modeling when it comes to the tree biomass. But what are some of the interesting things that you've observed running this software? By far... The most interesting thing was that biomass can be estimated from an equation. Just in general to me, that is kind of an amazing thing. And there's a lot of uncertainty within the equation, the equation that is used, but it's still a breathtaking thing that I sort of take for granted. Another would be that the software that the Forest Service wrote that I have taken and added to the software that the Forest Service wrote is very inaccessible. In the beginning of this project, it took me about a month to be able to go from a tree inventory to a final biomass or volume estimate because there were so many spreadsheets and manuals that I had to be very familiar with before I could reach my end goal. And so a lot of that frustration in the beginning inspired me to make this powerful tool something that anybody with a little bit of coding experience could use. Yeah, that's really important because if someone needs a lot of coding experience, then it's just really not that accessible. And it would be a very big barrier for people who want to use it after they gather that data from the field. Thank you so much for joining us today, Andrew. I look forward to seeing how this research progresses, and hopefully you can get other regions of the world as well. Thank you both for having me. I really appreciate you taking the time to talk about the research I've done. And yeah, I have 
big aspirations as to the applications of this software in both the forestry world and the policy world as climate change becomes a more important political issue. Thank you again. Have a great day. Bye. Thank you to all of our listeners for tuning in. To hear more about us and learn more about our episodes, check out scifiles.org. If you're a current MSU student that would like to be interviewed, please reach out to us at scifiles at impact89fm.org. We'll catch you next week on the Sci-Files, and remember, the truth is in the science.